This is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast, hosted by Roman Prokopchuk, bringing you all things digital marketing, tech, business, and motivation. What's stopping you from becoming relentless in all aspects of life? Are you ready to become a digital savage? Let's get into today's episode. Hey everyone, this is Roman Prokopchuk and this is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast. Today I have with me Jennifer Ann Gordon. Jennifer is an award-winning ballroom dancer, performer, and choreographer. She is also an artist, photographer, and author. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Roman. My pleasure. <laughs> that was a mouthful that you had to say there. I'm sorry. It's, I mean, you, you've been a busy woman in your life, so you, you have to mention all of that. And thank you for jumping on today. So tell me a little bit about your journey. How did you get to where you are now and kind of navigate through all those kind of careers and, you know, creative endeavors? Uh, so, well, I'll start with saying, obviously, the list that you mentioned, it was all artistic stuff. There was no uh, computers or math or science. So I will just start by saying, uh, I can't do math. And science has always baffled me. So I, I was always drawn, even as a kid, to to the arts, uh, English, reading, writing. Uh, I am very, very fascinated by psychology. So... Uh, that was another passion of mine, uh, kind of growing up. So, uh, high school, I did the normal high school thing, was a theater geek, uh, uh, an outcast, a weirdo, a goth girl. And, uh, after high school, I went to the University of New Hampshire, which is our state university. And I tried, uh, very hard to major in psychology. And then I switched to like communications. I wanted to like have a a regular four-year college experience and I ended up being very bored with that very fast and uh, left school, uh, traveled around the country for a little while in a car and uh, it then came back to New Hampshire and decided to go to the New Hampshire in- Institute of Art, uh, which was a fine arts college. And there I studied photography for a little while before settling uh, back into acting and theater. So I was part of their acting program. And through, through that school, I got to work with a professional theater company. So we didn't really have like college productions because it was a very small program. We got to work with a professional theater company, which was called New Art Theater. And, and that was an incredible experience. Uh, after school, I uh, did professional theater for a few years, a little bit of community theater, and uh, I just, I loved it. I loved discovering characters and creating characters. So all of this will eventually tie together. So I love discovering and creating characters. Uh, and that was all here in New England. I moved to the Midwest and I sort of stopped doing theater. Uh, I didn't really have time. And I focused a lot on artwork uh, and I did some self-publishing in the comic book industry as well. Uh, but my main thing for many years was I was a mixed media artist and uh, I sold my work online and, you know, and these, these paintings, these collages I made were also like discovering characters. 
They were photo manipulation from old Victorian era photos. And I was breathing kind of new life into it and trying to tell the stories of these pictures. So again, back to that kind of creating and discovering characters. Uh, on a whim, I, I, I wanted to take a ballroom dance lesson, but I was scared. I'd always danced my whole life, but I've, I'd never danced with another person because I'm not a very good follower. I like to be the one in control and lead. Uh, so I thought taking a ballroom dance lesson would be uh, scary, but exhilarating. And it took me about a year to build up the courage. And eventually I did take a ballroom dance lesson. And uh, I met my now fiance, who is also named Roman, uh, at that moment. And <laughs> uh, we started dancing together. And uh, I, I really, really like dancing. And after about six months, the studio I was taking lessons at offered me a job. And I guess I never thought that I would be a professional dancer at the age of like 30, because that's definitely past your prime for a dancer. So I, um, I kind of dove into the, the ballroom dance business and I became one of the top teachers in the country for the corporation I worked in. And uh, I did a lot of competing for a few years and a lot of performing. So my partner and I kind of traveled all over the country and performed, not necessarily strictly ballroom dance, but more um, movement-based artwork, if that makes any sense. It was all improvisational, uh, telling stories, again, telling stories. And uh, then I moved back to New Hampshire, still did the ballroom dancing, uh, still choreographing, still performing, had a burlesque troupe for five years that I was the creative director of. And then COVID happened. And uh, dancing in close partnership with somebody is not really uh, something we can be doing right now in a, in a plague atmosphere. So I have been focused for the past many months on uh, writing. I had written a novel last year and it got published at the end of February. So right Right when COVID was kind of exploding in our country, uh, my first novel, Beautiful, Frightening, and Silent, was released. And two weeks later, we entered our homes and we'd barely been out since. <laughs> so that's that's kind of my journey. Uh, and as far as the writing goes, I've always wanted to write. I was that dorky kid in school in seventh grade who got picked on by bully girls and ate lunch in my teacher's classroom. And she said I could eat there as long as I was doing something productive. And so I started writing stories and they were terrible, but I loved doing it. And I would go there and I would write every day. And in the back of my mind, I always thought that was what I was, one of the things I was meant to do was to write, uh, to tell stories in general, whether it's movement or in, via novels or artwork. But I, I love that writing specifically, I feel like I can do all of those things. I can paint a picture with words. I can create a dance with words and uh, again, create characters and I can play every role because I'm writing them. <laughs> now was, has COVID kind of been that opportunity for you because you had to obviously pivot 
because a lot of performing arts, you know, uh, dance troops, uh, plays, playhouses are all closed and, you know, leaving people. I mean, obviously, performing arts are expressions, obviously, of emotion and storytelling, which can't be done now. So was that in terms of COVID, the opportunity to pivot to kind of channel that creativity through writing? Um, well, I, yes, I, I had already published a book, so I already had been writing uh, but it definitely gave me uh, the opportunity to say, how do I make writing my focus? Because, I mean, as you know, if you're a writer, you're not just magically typing words into a computer and then somehow they're published and you get a million dollars. It is a, it, it's a business of marketing yourself, of getting out there, of becoming kind of your own brand. Uh, because if people don't like you, they're probably not going to like your book. And, and a lot of people, I think, don't realize that. So a lot of my, my job since COVID has been getting out there, doing podcasts. Uh, I have a podcast of my own that I started uh, that is about writing. And so I, I, I didn't have to pivot artistically because I was already in an artistic frame of mind about writing, but I did have to pivot into thinking about it as a business because I love eating and I do want to continue to be able to eat. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's important to promote yourself. Obviously during COVID, you need opportunities to push your business, your product, your whatever you create, if you're a creator, but I think it's important to really show who you are, because like you said, I think, you know, somebody may not know something about a genre or not necessarily read that genre, but if that author connects to them, speaks to them and their story and who they are really inspires them or they can find something relatable, there's a good chance that they'll check it out as well. Uh, I, I cannot agree with that more because, you know, people read my bio and they see ballroom dancer and they see all these things and they talk to me and I'm outgoing and I'm kind of likable. And then when they say, what kind of book do you, what kind of books do you write? And I say, well, I write horror novels, but there's always a disconnect. And they're like, how, how do you write a horror novel? And, and I get a lot of people who say, well, I hate scary books. I hate horror. I hate gore. I'm not going to read it. And I have to explain to them that there's a lot of different kinds of horror. Mine is more psychological. It's gothic horror. It's definitely grief and uh, memory-based as opposed to slasher films. And and I think once people kind of get to know me, they go, oh, all right, uh, I'll check it out. I might not like it, but I like her. I'll support her. I'll buy the book. And I've gotten so many messages from people who said, I never would have picked this book up, but I saw you in a writing group on Facebook and you made me laugh. And I thought, oh, I'm going to buy her book. Oh, crap, it's horror. They read it and they go, oh, okay, it's more than horror. It's, but it, it gets people to take a chance on you as a person. And I think, I mean, that's, that's what all of this is. Every act of creation, no matter what we're doing as artists, whether I'm dancing or painting or writing a book, it's, every, everything is an autobiography. <laughs> it's every little bit of it. It's, even if you don't think it is, you're part of, you're part of each character, even the bad ones, even the boring ones. A little tiny bit of you is in there. So uh, I hope when people 
get to know me and then read my work, they can, they can see the parallels there. And, uh, but I have had a lot of people say, Oh, that was dark. Maybe you should go to therapy. <laughs> yeah. I think the uh, kind of the, the horror genre is also hard in some ways to kind of evoke that, that emotion when you're reading it. So, I mean, I don't read a lot of horror, but I still remember, remember, I don't even know how long it was. It was probably like 20 years ago. Honestly, I read this book called the Punisher and it wasn't overly gory, but like the descriptive language and like the emotion that it evoked. I remember reading it one time and nobody was home and it was like a thunderstorm and it just like, uh, let me stop reading this because it's like, <laughs> I did a very good, you know, good job telling the story. Yeah. And that's, um, I think a lot of people, and I'm not just going to say people the way people think of horror, but sometimes any genre fiction, people have the same uh, views about sci-fi or even romance or things like that, or superheroes. They hear these words and they automatically say, oh, I hate that. I don't like that. I only want to read literature or I only want to read blah, blah, blah. And I think every story is really more than just one genre. So whereas my book is a horror novel, uh, my book that's out right now, Beautiful, Frightening, and Silent, is a gothic horror novel. It also deals with grief and addiction and revenge and what happens to a person when they give up on themselves. And it's also, you know, atmospheric and poetic. So I've had people say, it doesn't read like a novel. It reads like a 200 page poem. And they mean that as a compliment where somebody else might hear that and go, Oh, a 200 page poem. <laughs> Nothing sounds worse than that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's kind of important. And I think those kind of underlying themes as well. So, you know, some, if somebody's kind of put off by a certain genre, a certain style of writing, you, you know, you have to think about there's, you know, life lessons there underlying themes and, and things that obviously are put in that the author puts in that are related to the author and our self-expression of the author and a piece of obviously the author is in that in terms of expressing themselves. Yeah. And I think that's why it gets, it's tricky as, as an author or, or as any creative, when you get like a review of your book or your painting or your performance that somebody just, I don't want to say doesn't get it, but they don't get it, and and that's fine. Not everybody should get everything, but but when they just slam it so hard, like I've had, I've had people, and this is not a review, but an editor when I was submitting my books say, you know, we would we would love to publish this, except your main character is just not funny enough, and my novel is about a man whose wife and son just died. So I was like, I don't really think he'd be cracking jokes right now. He's he's not supposed to be funny. And they were like, yeah, but I mean, if he had like a sense of humor about it. And I'm like, no. <laughs> then that changes my book. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm all for kind of also reviews um, that are constructive and kind of if the person doesn't agree with it, maybe like they leave some kind of constructive criticism. But I think in today's culture, it's like a really quick like lash out. Everybody's kind of a keyword warrior in terms of anything that's reviewed that's creative and also different businesses things of that nature and oftentimes 
it's just a heated in the moment thing, maybe they read it and they're dealing with something in life and they just, you know, want a last shot and leave a nasty review and it serves no purpose in that way. And oftentimes, obviously it harms the business. A lot of the times the business or the person that created something has the best intention in, in mind and it's actually positive or it's a good piece of work or art, but that person or that person's review kind of takes away from that. Yeah. Um, I, I read a lot because I interview a lot of authors and, um, and I read a lot just because I read a lot and, and I review some books, some books I don't, uh, but even books I hate, I feel like I would never, that's not who I am as a person. Like I would never go online and just say, Oh, this sucks because I know that book that I'm holding in my hands is a, is an author's baby. Like, Somebody cared enough to write a book, even if it's not for me, doesn't mean it's not for other people. So it's about seeing kind of the the beauty and everything. Yeah, I agree. So what motivates you to succeed? <sighs> to succeed? I mean, I could just say uh, back to those bully girls in seventh grade, <laughs> you know, or... Um, I didn't grow up with a lot of money. I still don't have a lot of money. Uh, but what I always did have was pride and being proud of what I do, whether that would be uh, performing in a show on stage, a painting. Uh, I, I take so much pride in that that I think I'm already succeeding just by being brave enough to put work out there like it, it, it's brave for an author to write a book and throw it out into the world. So to me, that's success, uh, emotional and mental success. What drives me to succeed uh, business-wise, again, I love to eat and uh, I want to have money to be able to eat <laughs> and pay the bills, <laughs> you know, take care of my loved ones. <laughs> yeah. Plus you're doing something, obviously you, you love, obviously you're in a creative space and creating and obviously getting paid for it is great. I mean, some people not knocking, you know, nine to five, their corporate roles or cubicle sitting in a cubicle. Oh, not, not that's not, that. yeah, that's not for, for everyone, but it's one of those things when you can really like enjoy what you do and it's, it's a form of self-expression and you get obviously compensated. You can't really beat that. Yeah, I, I've been very, very lucky in my life that I have been able to make my living as a ballroom dance instructor and a choreographer and a performer uh, because that's, it, you know, it, it was my day job. It was my nine to five job. And I was lucky that my nine to five job was, was something that, you know, little kids kind of dream of being like, I want to be a dancer. I, I was lucky that that was my job. And it still will be my job once we get a vaccine uh, for this. And once the world uh, kind of straightens itself out eventually, hopefully, uh, but I haven't given up on the dancing. We still do some uh, some social distance dance lessons, uh, just just not a lot of them anymore, and no group classes and no parties. And have you thought about doing anything, or have you done anything like on Zoom in terms of like dance lessons or like video conferencing or something? utilizing technology to try to, you know, show that kind of obviously creative art that you can't, like you said, be, you know, next to yeah. a person to do anymore. Um, we, we did the first few months uh, of the shutdown. We did, we re went and recorded a ton of uh, tutorials and things like that. And 
there's there's something to be said for the style of teaching that we do, which is incredibly hands-on. So we can do a tutorial and and people can see it, but predominantly our jobs when we teach, even when we teach a couple is physically moving them around, dancing with them. Like I, I know how to lead and I know how to follow so I can dance with uh, a woman or a man. I could lead and follow both of them. And my job is to show them each, you know, how to do what they have to do, then dance both of them through it a few times, let them dance with each other. I dance with both of them again, make them dance with each other again. So it's, that's how to, that's how to really teach uh, ballroom dancing because it's incredibly kinesthetic. So we can do beginner level tutorials and things like that. Like these are the steps, but, but at the end of the day, you still really need a teacher right there with you to kind of move your body. And plus you can't teach musical timing very well on a video. Yeah, that makes sense. Because sometimes it's just a matter of like when we dance with somebody is getting them on time to the music. They can be doing the step perfectly. And then you go, there's just something not right about it. Oh, they're a beat off. And, and if they can't hear it, we have to kind of force that into their body. We have to make them feel it. Once they start feeling it, how it feels different to dance on time to music. Uh, it's easier. Yeah, that makes sense, actually. So what's one thing that you may have seen as a weakness in yourself in the past that you've turned around and utilized as a strength today? Um, I knew you were going to ask this because you said it right at the beginning. And I thought at that moment, ah, that's such a great question. Uh, I think that's a weakness. Um, I would say self-doubt because, um, when I was little, little, I was very shy. Uh, I was an only child, didn't have a ton of friends, uh, very bookish. And I didn't believe in myself at all. And it wasn't until I found theater in high school where I got to take all of that self-doubt and literally leave it at the door and become somebody else. Again, back to that creating of the character. I could, I could, pretend to be somebody else. And that person was very confident. That person on stage was incredibly confident. The second I would walk off stage, I was back to being, you know, back to being Jennifer Ann Gordon, weird, quiet girl. So over years, I think that, that being able to separate myself, um, the neurotic, self-doubting only child from New Hampshire, and the performer who's that same person but has confidence so that self-doubt and those insecurities i had and i still have i think that turns into a, a, a strength especially with writing because i don't believe as an author i'm above anybody i can get into the i like to get into the minds of other characters and find out what makes them tick and I think maybe if I wasn't insecure and bullied and scared as a kid, uh, maybe I wouldn't be as, I don't want to say as feeling or as empathic as I am, but I think it's that. It's 
my, I turned my self-doubt and my sensitive, my sensitive nature into a, a thing that fuels me. Because now I take, again, whether it's dance, whether it's doing a waltz or writing a book, writing a story about a serial killer, and I turn it into an, an, emo, an emotional thing as opposed to I'm doing a waltz. It's a really pretty box step. I, I pour my, my, all of my feelings into it. And it be, that's when it becomes art. And I wouldn't be able to do that if I wasn't such a mess to begin with. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's also important. A lot of people really think like, you know, and, and have self doubt and anxiety about things. And I think everyone has kind of their, their own thing. So no one is immune to that, but oftentimes we as individuals think like we're the only imperfect ones or we're shy to express ourselves in front of people or show our, like the true selves that we are. Obviously you, you know, you had a method of expression and then kind of uh, opened up. But I always say, regardless of how you are, you should really communicate to the world in terms of your story and who you are, what you've experienced, a collection of experiences that make you who you are, because there's at least one person that has, went through that situation, wants to be where you are. And I think I, I, even if you impact that one person, it, it's well worth kind of getting past that initial, you know, fright to really tell your story. Um, I, I will say uh, being in the burlesque world, uh, when I was actively doing burlesque and choreographing burlesque and having my troupe, that was such an incredible experience, uh, having a troupe, because it, it was men and women, all ages, all body types, uh, you know, our troop average, like, you know, young women who are in their early 20s to a woman who was 62 and gorgeous. And if you saw us all backstage, we would just be like, what is this? What is this? Is this a fat roll? Can people see the fat roll? And then and we're like, nobody can see that. And nobody cares. We're body positive. We would look at each other and just be like, you're so beautiful. What are you talking about? But then to ourselves, be beating each up, beating ourselves up. Like, should I just cover my body with spray glitter? Will I look thinner like that? And after the first few shows, and we realized that it was our confidence that the audience saw. They didn't see our fat rolls or our stretch marks or our cellulite or the weird bruises we would get because we would always be bruised up from dancing so much. Uh, they, they just saw the show. And, and after every show, when we would talk with the audience, everybody was, they, the women, especially of all ages, were so inspired. And they would look at us and say, I wish I could be as brave as you. I wish I could do that. And but they didn't see us 20 minutes before, like panicking uh, about the dumbest things. So again, taking self-doubt, uh, body image issues, thinking you're ugly, thinking the whole world's going to laugh at you, and literally bearing yourself, like because it it's striptease, uh, on stage in front of 100 people or more. And... <laughs> that that was liberating and I feel like if you can take your clothes off on a stage and not just die of your own like embarrassment you can uh, do anything 
Yeah, and there's been studies out there in terms of what people are afraid of. So like public speaking and doing anything in front of a crowd, they said they would rather die over doing that. So that's, I mean, it's a real fear and not everyone can do it. So So what's one piece of advice you can leave with the audience, personal or professional? I would say professionally first, be impeccable with your word. So if you tell somebody, whether um, if you tell somebody you're going to do something, if you make a promise to them, you ha- please keep it. We all understand the, the world is a crazy place, but do your best to keep it. Don't burn bridges. Even if uh, you think those bridges are just small little things, don't be rude for no reason. Remember that the internet is not a safety net. I, I see a lot of people being terrible to each other in online groups, just terrible. And, and I'm like, you're not immune <laughs> just because there's just because you have like a, like an emoji instead of your face for your, for your picture doesn't mean that you're not talking to somebody real. So professionally, I would say, uh, I don't, can I swear on your show? All right. Don't be an asshole. Like, don't be a dick. Just be <laughs> professional. And I, I guess I should have been saying this my whole life because with theater, with performance, with anything, there's always people who have huge egos, uh, who aren't willing to help the little person, who aren't willing to do what you're doing right now. You're talking to me. I'm a fledgling author. Uh, there's a lot of people out there that would just say like, oh, you're not worth my time. Or just like, you know, send off a rude email. So I would say, listen to everybody, be impeccable with your word. And uh, I guess that's kind of personal as well. Personal. Don't be a dick. And also I'd say creatively, if you have an idea that you think is like completely screwed up, but you believe in it, go for it. Try it. I mean, I don't really believe in failure. Even if something doesn't work out, that's not necessarily failure. It's only failure if you don't try. So uh, oh, if you can hear some buzzing, there's some weird bugs outside my room right now. Outside. Uh, I would say just, yeah, lean into your weirdness. Let your, you know, your inner freak flag fly. I can barely say that. but But be who you are discover what you have to say and say it and don't let anyone say that's not marketable. Nobody would buy that. Oh, another podcast. Oh God. Oh really? Do we, do we need another blah, blah, blah? Do we need another Etsy store? Do we need another this? Uh, if, if, you know, whatever your dream is, just please do it. At least try. And, uh, I'm like, like you said before, there is always one person out there, at least one other person that you are going to connect with. And I know my book has connected with people and that means more to me than all the sales in the world. The people who take time to, to reach out to me after they read it or leave a review on Amazon that's uh, glowing or not glowing, but you know, the people who read it and felt something that's always going to be there for you. So if you're a creative, create. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, I just try to be nice to everyone, you know what I mean? It's really, it's really not that hard to be nice. And then people, it's not that hard, <laughs> especially online. And I mean, in, in 2020, people oftentimes have ulterior motives. I mean, I approach a situation. How can I help you? I mean, I try to think of myself as a heart led entrepreneur. So I do things for kind of like the greater good. I mean, my personal life, I'm a foster parent. So my wife and I have had 20 kids in our home since June of 2018. Um, and I do other things in terms of like advocating for that. So, I mean, there's things that people can do. And like you said, if you're going to try something also, do it. It doesn't matter if you fail. It's only a failure if you don't try and if you don't get something out of it. Just because it was a negative result, take it as a learning experience and either refine it or pivot to something else that you want to try. I know. I think the saddest thing would be at the end of the day where everything that can go wrong in the world has, if we're at, if, if we're at December 31st on 2020 and you can sit there and say, oh, well, I couldn't do anything because there was a pandemic, then you're lying to yourself because we all have knowledge or emotional support that we could give somebody. So, and, and I'm not saying you have to be creative. You can reach out on a group on Facebook and say, I will be an advocate. I will be an ear. I'll be something. Like if, if somebody's having a hard day, message me. I'll be there for you. Like we can get so much out of our day-to-day -day life if we just put a, a little bit into it. Yeah, I agree. And kind of just hearing people out, I think uh, if, you know, I ran into you on the street or some kind of event, usually, hey, how are you? 99.9% .9 of the times, everybody will say, you know, I'm fine. How are you? Regardless of what they're, you know, going through. So really taking the time and understanding that I think everyone is dealing with something at any given point in time and just kind of diving a little deeper can really go a long way. One time, actually, on LinkedIn, I was on LinkedIn. I guess somebody lost their job or something, and they started posting, like, you know, I'm going to, you know, end my life, this and that. I didn't even know the person. It just popped on my wall, and I'm like, listen, um, if you need another job, I'm, I'm happy to reach out to my network and, you know, uh, forward your resume, or we can get on the call and see what was wrong. But it's like one of those things, like, if you take, like, five, ten minutes out of your day and really try to just be there for someone, it can really go a long way. I know... Uh like when I teach dance, uh, I always, you know, every lesson I start with, hey, how are you doing? You know, how are you doing today? And you can sense usually when it like when it's not going well for somebody. And like you said, everybody's, especially right now, they're dealing with stuff. So and they'll my my students and my friends will always say the same thing. Oh, yeah, I am fine. And then I look at them every week and I go, really? Are you really like you can tell me. And, it, it, and I'm surprised how many times people say, like, okay, I just need to get this off my chest. Something, something, something. And they're, that's when my job goes above and beyond being a dance instructor. Like, maybe I'm not always teaching a box step. Maybe I'm that person's happy point of the day. <laughs> can you let the audience know how they can find you? Uh, yes, uh, the easiest place to find me is on my website, which is jenniferangordon.com, and that's Anne with an E, like Anne of Green Gables. Uh, so Jennifer, A-N-N-E, Gordon, G-O-R-D-O-N.com. 
Uh, you can also find my book, Beautiful, Frightening, and Silent, on Amazon. And I have a new book being released next month. It'll be out on August 20th, and that is called From Daylight to Madness. That book deals with uh, how the mentally ill were treated during the Victorian era. So another uplifting novel from me. And you can also, and if people just want to reach out to me on Facebook, uh, if you're having a bad day and you need to talk to somebody, uh, at Jennifer Ann Gordon author is my author page on Facebook or just Jennifer Gordon on my personal page, but my author page, Jennifer Ann Gordon author. They can find me there. Thanks again for stopping by. Thank you. It was great. This podcast has been brought to you by Nova Zora Digital. Find out how Nova Zora Digital can help your company grow online. Learn more at NovaZoraDigital.com. Until next time, all you digital savages.